are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The View, the Church of the Larger Fellowship's weekly talk show. I am Christina Rivera, and I'm coming to you from uh, beautiful Stanton, Virginia, where it's just gorgeous, gorgeous uh, spring weather. Yay! So excited for that. And we're excited this uh, Thursday to have Carrie Gottfried and Tanner Linden here to talk about what it's like to be a UU young adult in this new world that we are creating, co-creating together right now. But before we get to them, I'd like to have the rest of our co-hosts, view co-hosts introduce themselves. Uh, Aisha, how are you doing? I'm Aisha Alzer and I'm in Seattle, Washington. Um, I don't know. I felt like I hit a wall this week and um, was super weepy, was was over this and knowing that it's going to be a long time. Um, and the weather's gorgeous. So, and I, I'm wearing birds today. I don't know if you could see because I've been just seeing so many birds. They probably were there, but because I was rushing to go places, I just never noticed them. But I'm like, there are a lot more. Are there more birds? Or So that's been fun. I'm trying to just connect with nature here in the city of Seattle. And, um, you know, so in the middle of my weeping, I'm like, oh, look, bird. So that's been fun. Meg, how are you? Hi, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the snow is melting. It's going to be, it, it was beautiful. And then it snowed. It's going to be 60 on Saturday, though. So I'm already excited. And yeah, there are birds. I mean, there are more birds. I live under an airport and I have to say, I love the absence of planes. I mean, it is so much more peaceful here. And yeah, a sandhill crane flew over my house this week. And, you know, I always, there are bald eagles everywhere in Minneapolis. So I see them all the time, but um, yeah, blue herons, green herons, a loon was down at the lake down the block, you know, kind of on its way north. But you know, those loon sounds are so amazing. So yeah, I'm, the birds are, are wonderful company and I think they're loving the absence of planes even more than I am. <laughs> so, but I've just noticed it makes such a difference, especially when I'm out in the yard. You know, it used to be neighbors would come by and every three minutes we just have to stop and be quiet and wait like it's a little silent meditation until the plane went by. And so it's great to not be doing that. Antonia. Hey, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware and things are going pretty well here. We've had some thunderstorms and I believe today is a little bit cooler than it normally is so that's like 50 degrees which we we had some beautiful days so I'm hoping to get back to that but things are going okay I had my bad week at the beginning of the week and the end of last week but I feel like I'm I'm back on track now I'm not the cat in the poster anymore um Life is going pretty well, and I'll be the one um, collecting your questions over on YouTube to get to the host, and we hope to have a really great chat. I'm excited about this topic. So on to the next person. Well, as we um, often do, we're going to do a UU roundup before we dive into um, into our topic for the day, because there's just a lot going on, folks. As you can, as I know, you're you're experiencing out there. We just wanted to name some of the big ones. Um, most folks may have heard by now that. Um, our General Assembly, which was scheduled for Providence, Rhode Island in June, has now been changed over to a virtual General Assembly. And so that's going to be different for us all. I know the folks um, at the GAPC, which is the GA Planning Committee, and the UUA and the board are all working just so hard um, to reimagine what that can look like. Um, and, you know, I I, one of my friends uh, yesterday on Facebook said, I, I know it's going to be great. I know it's going to be different. I know there's going to be things that are really awesome, um, but I just need some time to feel sad about it. So before we get to the, all the really awesome things, can people just make space for people to be sad? 
And I think that that's really important uh, framework um, as we go through all of these losses, you know, that we're going to be going through and have been going through, you know, over time is just to remember to let people be sad before you go, but, oh, it's going to be great because X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah, it will be, but, you know, let people, <laughs> let people have their feelings about this for a little bit. Um, I'm sure Carrie and, and Tanner probably have some, some feelings about it, having experienced um, synergy and bridging, um, you know, at General Assembly. And, you know, that's not something that this cohort of seniors are going to be able to experience in the same way. Um, so, you know, I think, I think if there's, there's something there. Yeah, I, I think that's such an important point. You know, I'd planned to cross the stage to retire at GA. And there are people with all kinds of transitions that we had looked to marking at General Assembly that will happen differently. And I, I think, you know, for me, I can hold simultaneously the knowledge of how privileged I am and how lucky I am and how other people have it a lot harder and that there are very real losses still. And that I get to grieve those, and I get to, I get to have both hands. I get to, I get to have that without, you know, being ashamed that I'm sad about something like not crossing a stage when other people don't have food to eat. You know, like, but it's all loss. There are just all kinds of losses for all kinds of people, and yeah, at just not seeing, not seeing the people. It's, it's a thing. It's. I, I miss mean, so many people. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's a, the, not, I say I, so many things and I was going to, hopefully I'm going to see the RECC next week, but that would have been also on this, I would have been on the stage and, uh, my daughter's college commencement has been, they're saying postponed, but you know, whenever it happens and she cried for two days and she said to me, mom, I know that this isn't important, but I'm sad. I said, it is important. And yes, we, it's just what you said, Meg, we can acknowledge, um, how privileged we are and be sad. This is, you only graduate college once, you know, and, um, and GA, I'm going to miss, I, I realized that I'm, I'm an extrovert and I love my family and I'm just seeing the same people. I'm like, oh, I really loved the variety of all the people I have in my life and I miss them. I just want to, to name that too. And Meg, you were, you and Charles Dumond were going to be, do you get sworn in? At, I don't even know, you know, do you, well, you as know, moderator? Right. There will still be some online version of the uncontested election that would have happened in person. And, you know, I feel sadder for Barb and Alandria who have worked so hard for five years and don't get to get celebrated in public. Although when I asked them about it, they both kind of shuddered and said they're introverts. That, that does not sound like something that they would have loved. But I would, you know, I think celebrating work well done is really important. And Aisha, you kind of buried the lead a bit about you're doing what next week? So I'm going to see the committee twice for the credential level and the master level religious education credential. Use the word credential a lot. Um, so it is uh, analogous to the ministerial fellowship committee and it's for religious educators. So um, I handed in two portfolios and many, many essays. And so it'll be the culmination. I'm more nervous. I'm surprised at how nervous I am. I'm like, and I think partly because it's Zoom um, and it's, and we've been dealing with a global pandemic and I'm like, I'm too stressed to do it. That was part of my tears. <laughs> I have to be prepared and concentrate. <laughs> yeah, this is now public for everyone to see. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing next week. Thank you, Mike. You and others. So shout out to everyone who's doing that. Both the commission, the committee commission, uh, the folks committee. who have to stay on Zoom for a really, really long time. <laughs> as did the MFC and the folks who have to, um, yeah, polish up being on Zoom in the middle of a pandemic. Everything is different. Every, everything that we're doing is just so different. But um, yeah, and also, Christina, you mentioned other transitions going on in our congregations right now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing I did want to want to mention to folks, just as a point of information for them, um, definitely check out what the GAPC and UUA are doing for GA registration. If you've already registered, there's some information about what you can do with your registration fee, which I think is just fabulous. I'll let you all go and find it, um, but really check it out. It's it's really awesome um, how they're structuring this. And shout out um, to Latanya Broom. We must give yeah. Latanya first year. 
amazing, amazing contract renegotiation. Yes, this is Latanya's first year <laughs> as the uh, the head of the conferences and planning uh, group at the UA, and just God bless because she's just doing a great job and um, you know under really really difficult circumstances. So whoop whoop, go girl. Um, oh yeah, so the other thing that we saw a lot of this week was. Um, announcements from congregations who are in search of their candidates. Yay! So, you know, talk about another thing that's got to be just completely different um, this time around, um, trying to do your search process uh, while in a pandemic and doing it all virtually. Um, So we're just seeing some great uh, news of, you know, placements and and welcomes and all of those kinds of things. Of course, this is the candidating period, which means it's kind of like the final engagement period before the the full-on call. Uh, So just sending out a lot of blessings to all the congregations that are working through that. And And did you see there's online ordinations going to happen? That's cool. Yes, Yes. online ordinations. Margalee, our former host here, is going to do an online ordination on the 30th. And uh, I think Elizabeth Mount might be doing online ordination uh, as well. So yeah, it just, you know, way to go for all the folks that are just having to pivot uh, in a really difficult time. Anything else for our roundup? I don't think so. I think those were the highlights. Well, we are so excited to welcome Carrie and Tanner. Thank you both so much for saying yes when we when we texted. Um, Carrie is a long life, a lifelong, long life and lifelong UU studying political science and religion at Wesley College. She has been active uh, youth and young adult leader in UU communities over the past few years. I'll just mention she was the senior dean of the UU GA Youth caucus now youth at GA, I think it is, or GA youth. Um, Tanner is a lifelong Unitarian Universalist and self-described evangelist. He serves as the outreach coordinator for the Church of the Larger Fellowship. And Tanner's experienced with social media manager and avid communicator who wants to use his skills to help more people find and connect with Unitarian Universalism. Right on, Tanner. Uh, before joining the CLF, Tanner served congregations in Southern California, Arizona, and Nevada as a youth and young adult communications director. Welcome, Tanner and Carrie. Thank you so much for being here. And Tanner and Christine, you were on the UUA board together, right? We were. We served on the UUA board together through during some really tumultuous times. Um, Tanner was there uh, just through, you know, some some was one of the, I think, over the span of everything that happened in 2017, 2018, we had two or three different um, what were youth observers and became youth trustees. Um, and Tanner was was right in the mix of that. So I, you know, I guess my first question to you both is um, like, where are you <laughs> in terms of um, in terms of having to do social distancing in your young adult life now? What is that? What is that looking like for you? Um, so for me, I go to college at Wellesley in Massachusetts, and um, my family's in Oregon. So when this was all starting at the beginning of March, and colleges started sending their students home, we were kind of waiting, not sure if we'd be sent home, and eventually we were. Um, So then I flew back home to Oregon pretty suddenly, packed up all my things, and I was in self-isolation as best as I could be for two weeks just to make sure I didn't pass anything to my family. Looks like I didn't, and now I'm back hanging out home with my parents and my younger sister and doing my classes online from the West Coast on an East Coast time zone. So that's been my life for the past few weeks. Um, so we are, um, I'm in California and we've been on shelter in place for the last few weeks. Um, and they've extended it till mid May now. Um, of course the deadline or the, they're just going to keep extending and extending. Um, so that's where we're at here. Uh, formally before, um, I was laid off, I had a second job at the Santa Barbara zoo. Um, and, uh, we're a tourism attraction. So we've been watching, 
we were watching this really closely in the beginning, um, especially as cases started to pop up in California. Um, and our executive team had really good foresight. They, they thought we were gonna close kind of weeks and weeks and weeks before any shelter in place order. Um, so um, I started working from home for them way, way sooner. Um, and then, then the shelter in place orders came um, and I already did online university. Um, so I feel like I've been stuck at home for like months. <laughs> Um, even though it's only been like an actual month, um, it feels like it feels like forever. Um, so that's where I'm at, cooped up at home. Um, but I'm so grateful to have food and like I, I'm trying to focus on the things that I have and not the things I don't right now. Um, so, but also, I I really liked what you said, Christina, about like being able to be sad. There are definitely things we can be sad about. Um, and for me personally, I'm trying to focus on like the things that I can be grateful for because it helps me, um, but also leaving room for sadness. How are you connecting with your peers right now? So now both of you, you have, I imagine, especially because you grew up UU youth, there's peers everywhere. And what are some of the things you're all, are you doing that uh, connecting with each other? Well, I actually um, would like to say, I think that there's never been a better time to be a young adult in Unitarian Universalism. Um, the resources that are coming out of the UUA and regional groups and things that are being started by young adults themselves are just so incredible. Um, and because everything's virtual, one really hard thing with young adults is, you know, they're traveling all over, everybody's spread out, it's hard to connect people. But now that we all are connecting online, it makes it actually really easy for us to be together in a virtual space. So I have had the chance over the past month to be in communities online um, with young adults from all over the country, from young adults from the Pacific Western region, um, from my college. And that has been really, really great. And some of them have been just casual hangouts where we all get to talk and other ones have been more intentional spaces where we like to chalice, sing songs, have some reflection time. And I've really, really been grateful for that. You know, I've always, always, always before um, COVID-19 and, and for many years um, have known um, and told people that um, it's not enough for youth and young adults uh, to get spiritual sustenance by just showing up to their bricks and mortar congregation on Sunday morning. Um, some youth and young adults, maybe that's all the spiritual fulfillment they need. And I see that and I hold that. For me, that was never true. Um, I always needed um, a community outside of my congregation because I was one of the only youth. Um, currently, I'm one of the only emerging adults. There are young adults, but they're um, like, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and that's not the group that I'm, you know, uh, clicking with right now. Um, so I, I like to think that we've had practice as emerging adults um, with going and finding that community outside of our physical areas. Um, because there's really close to me, there's not a lot of youth or emerging adults uh, growing up through the years. The peers that I felt closest to were um, far, you know, on the East Coast and things like that. So um, it's been kind of nice to have that scaffolding already built in to our communication. Like we're used to not seeing each other. We're used to having to reach out and only seeing each other a few times a year. The thing that's hard is now we don't have those few times a year. And so like changing and adapting to how we communicate and like how we can be together uh, is like really, really important in this moment. I always, when I came to CLF and, and Church of the Younger Fellowship was a thing that was kind of dying when I got there. And as I talked to many um, young adults, emerging adults, what I learned was this thing called Fuse that predated Facebook, which was a UU created social media network where apparently 
um, young adults and emerging adults talk to each other all the time. But then Facebook came and everybody gradually dropped that and moved. And so there was this real like lament. And, and these people are now in their late 30s, you know, or maybe even 40 who, who were part of that. Um, but but I wonder now, because, you know, I came to CLF 10 years ago thinking we'll build an online church. And like I could I brought in a number of ministers specifically to work. And I worked with Monica Cummins and I tried all these different ways. And I think, as you said, Carrie, young adults were so busy and so on the fly that really uh, building something worshipful. That's what we were trying to do or. So I wonder if that's happening now. Is there is there worship going on for young adults somewhere that I don't know about? Um, is is someone doing that? Is there a role for CLF to jump in and do something? Try again, you know, like what's up? Yeah, I can I can hop on that one, um, Meg. That's a, a a great question. I'm I'm glad you prompted it. Um, I've been working uh, with the emerging adult specialist, so to say, with the UUA uh, to put together a CLF sponsored um, emerging adult worship service. Uh, we have about 12 emerging adults who are interested. Um, and right now it's just solidifying all those folks roles. So I'm individually reaching out to each person. Once everyone is confirmed, we'll start uh, gathering online and, and worship planning. Um, and it, it's, it's still forming and at the the CLF, as as you know, Meg, um, and other folks, we're trying not to move. Uh, we're trying to move at a sustainable rate. Uh, if it was my choice, we would have emerging adult worship tomorrow. Um, but it, that doesn't make it doesn't make sense. We wanna we wanna take our time and do it right because we know this isn't gonna be over in two weeks. Uh, we know we're gonna have to do the social distancing things like that for a while. Um, so there are things in the works, uh, I guess I would say, and there are emerging adults who are talking and, and getting things planned. Um, it's just a matter of all the puzzle pieces falling in the right place. I also think that um, there are some amazing people doing worship, young adult worship all over the country. Um, one interesting thing is in a lot of spaces that you use have created, um, for marginalized communities, communities that may not be represented as much in our congregations. They're communities that don't, like it's an identity that you hold with you all for all of your life. And being a young adult isn't one of those identities. And so I think that's one challenge is finding enough leader, younger leadership to be able to create a sustainable community without people who aren't gonna be there forever. Um, one community I'm a part of is Sanctuary Boston. And it was started as a community to center young adult voices and worship. Um, and it still does that, but a lot of the people who founded that community are now kind of aging out of that young adult age range. And so the question is, is it going to evolve with them or bring new voices in or some mix of, of both? So I think that is something we really have to consider as well as you know, young adults are very busy people. So it's hard to figure out how much time um, we're all able to donate without getting completely burnt out. Um, I just started going to Sanctuary this year and I wanted to be, you know, jump all in and be super involved. And they do a great job of like with the CLF moving at a sustainable rate. So right now I'm doing the slideshow for the online worship. And I think that's perfect because it's something that makes me feel important and involved. And I'm not going to be after a year, just completely exhausted and never going to go again. But Sanctuary Boston is one of those communities now that we've moved online that's offering worships that are open. And we used to have maybe 30 or 40 people coming to the in-person services and the ones we have on Zoom have gotten over 100 people each. So that's something that I've really loved being able to be a part of and to also share with my friends who didn't have the privilege of going to college in Boston and having that community right on their doorstep. That's great. Have they had to adapt how they do worship as it's grown from 30 or 40 to 100? Yeah, definitely. And also with all of the people who want to, you know, cause disruption on Zoom, we've had to tighten our settings and make it, it makes it a little bit less collaborative because not, not everybody's able to share in the worship. One of the things we have um, in person worship is joys and sorrows time where people are able to stand up, introduce themselves and share. And um, actually it's been really beautiful using the chat box and everybody can just um, send in their joys and their sorrows 
and um, it's beautiful to see like all of them flooding in and everybody being able to hold all of that in one space. Yeah, CLF also. I think this is true for the bricks and mortars going online. It's true of the little place that I'm interim. Um, yeah, we're we probably quadrupled weekly worship and we used to do joys and sorrows as a little three minute video and now it's much longer and we say don't even try to read this just let it wash over you and be part of humanity and um uh it's amazing both the grief and gratitude is how i'm thinking of it you know um and both of them are so profound new babies are still being born and you know new, amazing things are happening so it's really it's wonderful to mix it all up Aisha, is your church growing online too? Yeah, we've had, um, so we do offer two services through Zoom, um, uh, uh, 9 and 11, and we've, our attendance has increased, and people who just for many reasons can't, haven't been able to attend um, on Sunday morning have loved being online, and we do coffee hour, and so we've, like, we're just, friendlier because you're up you can stay and then people get broken up into rooms randomly and they're talking folks are talking to people they never would have walked up to in uh person and and getting to know each other so the dynamic what i'm hoping you know one of the things we've been thinking about is well what are we going to keep eventually many months from now when we are back in person what are we going to keep and what are we going to let go of because there is i think i don't know if people we're just you know we're, we're creatures of habit and I do the same thing. When I'm at GA, I go right to the people I know. I don't necessarily start introducing myself to people I don't know. So I totally can empathize with that. In coffee hour, you just want to see the friend you know. However, when you're given the opportunity to get to meet new people in a different way, it's quite profound and compelling. And I'm you know, hopeful that folks hold on to that. Or we do some kind of hybrid so we don't leave people out. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity here for Unitarian Universalism. But we've seen, and I've heard that anecdotally, that almost... Anybody who I've asked has said, oh yeah, we've had a lot more people online. So <clears throat> Tanner, you mentioned, um, and Carrie, you as well, that that the young adult community has always had to use the virtual space more than than a lot of our bricks and mortar churches. What do you think, um, what do you think that we can learn from how you all have built that community? and using that to to kind of sustain ourselves because you know I, I think we're all clear that this is going to go on a lot longer than any of us had you know expected when it started um and so i think you know it would be great if we acknowledge that there's some groups that have been doing this for a while <laughs> successfully and maybe we should ask them uh for their advice um you know, one thing I, I want to lift up in response to that, but it doesn't answer um, the, the question exactly, um, is that something I've always thought to be really important, and I think Carrie um, hinted to this, um, is that uh, the, the most profound emerging adult and young adult spaces I've been in um, have been um, led by um, and championed by and created by um, emerging adults and young adults themselves. It's really hard when an outside, Meg, you talked about the, the difficulty of bringing in, um, you know, ministers and things like that to come and build um, young adult communities. I think it's really difficult to do that as an outside force, so to say, to, to come in and say, you know, it's one thing to say, I want emerging adult community um, as someone who's not an emerging adult. And then it's some, another thing to have an emerging adult say, all right, let's build this community. Let's do it together. Um, so I think that's that's always been really important. Um, and then more towards your question about, um, you know, how is online connection sustainable, um, or how can we do it better? Um, I, you know, I don't think any community has the perfect answer for that. Of course, um, one thing that I've been struggling with personally um, has been do I feel more connected uh, when I'm having these conversations over Zoom? Uh, or do I feel less connected because I can't physically see the person? I don't know if anyone else is feeling that grief of, like I get to see all these amazing people on Zoom, but it, it just reminds me that I can't 
physically like see them and hug them and be with them. Um, so that's something I've been struggling with. Um, and specifically for my fellow young adults who I normally wouldn't be on Zoom outside of if we're on like a committee together or something, usually I would be, you know, either messaging them until I see them in person uh, and vice versa. Um, so that's been difficult for me. And I'm sure Carrie has lots of ideas. So I'm gonna pass it to her. Yeah, actually, um, I agree that it's important to have emerging adults at the center of things that are made for them. Um, but also something that I really appreciate as a super involved youth who was on the verge of, of um, burning out, but then bridged and kind of had a little bit of a break from that is I love it when I don't have to be in charge of everything I wanna be a part of. And I love it when I can just be in a space and have that space held for me. Um, so I wanna give a big shout out to Stevie Carmody. Um, Reverend Stevie is um, the Emerging Adult Ministry Specialist at the UUA. And as soon as this hit and we were all being quarantined, he immediately jumped into action. And we've had some incredible intentional community small group check-ins that have been just so wonderful to just show up at and not have to show up if I wasn't feeling it and not feel any obligation, but also know that I would be completely welcome. And those were based off of Casey Stainsby at the Canadian Unitarian Council, who has been holding those groups for young adults in Canada um, for a while now. And you know, Canada is even harder to be a UU young adult in because it's even more spread out. There's less people. And so having that space, I've been showing up at them as an honorary Canadian UU. And I love just being able to be in a space where I may not know any of the other people in that group, but we are all people of faith. We're all young adults and we can find something to connect on. And then on a regional level, also Cameron Young and Eric Bliss are doing some great work. And they're all a little bit older than the emerging adult, young adult range, um, but they've worked a lot with young adults and emerging adults and know how to hold that space. So I think that a good combination of emerging adult buy-in with also support from older adults and even older young adults is really important. So one of the um, questions we have actually relates to something that you all have been saying and we've been just kind of using this language um, Darby Lockridge says, one of the challenges I had in create, to create a young adult community was bridging the huge gaps in lifestyle. Some are students, other had big families already, big income disparities as anyone else. And I think it's really important um, that we've created this. Um, so young adult, the, the term within Unitarian Universalism of young adult technically spanned 18 to 35 which as we all know is just ridiculous um, because <laughs> the, what's going on with an 18 year old and a 35 year old can be just wildly different. And um, so recently- Youth, what that meant? Youth used to be 12 to 22. I'm, I'm right, just... and youth used to be 12 to 22. So, so we've, we've recently, I think within the past two to three years, um, started changing that language a little bit and talking about, as you guys have, um, emerging adult and young adult. And the emerging adult is intended to really try and hit that span between, I don't know if we've actually clarified it, I think it's 18 to 22 is the last time, 20, Carrie, what is, 24. Um, and so to really kind of capture what it means to be bridging out of youth, you know, the youth world and Unitarian Universalism into a different world that isn't necessarily, you know, a bricks and mortar church, particularly if you're going into the military, if you're getting a job, if you're going to college, um, versus, you know, what you do after some of those, those things. So, um, I think it's really important that, that, you know, something that you all are already talking about really naturally, emerging adults, is something that, um, you know, communities and congregations really need to be looking at. Yeah, um, a couple of things on that. So I think a big reason why it is 18 to 24 is um, when you're 25, you can be a youth sponsor at youth events. And so there you know, once you're 25, you can go back, not back into that community, but you have more of the support and structure of that 
Um, and then 18 to 24 year olds kind of, they can't be in youth community because they're too old. They can't be in like a sponsor or adult community because they're too young. And so that's really where we've all kind of, you know, they call it, they call it cliffing. If you, um, instead of bridging, it's, you just fall off that cliff right into that, that gap. Um, and so we're trying to make that more of a bridge by having these really intentional communities for emerging adults. I know when I was a senior in high school, I was the oldest person in my youth group. Most of the people were my sister's age. She's two years younger than me um, or, or freshman in high school. And so I, when I turned 18, because I was, I was still a senior, but I was 18. So I started going to the young adult group at my church. I don't know, it was all like late 20s, early 30s. Some people were a little bit older than 35. And it was not my community, but it was the only thing that was available for me. So I think definitely focusing on the having that distinction that yes, 18 year olds are young adults, but they're also very different young adults than a 34 or 35 year old is an important thing when creating um, young adult communities. I think there's also a real difference, at least I'm thinking back to my days as youth director when it was CU Yan at the time, it was a lot of young adults who found Unitarian Universalism as young adults and in a way kind of needed to relive a youth they didn't get to have before. And so there were times when the YRUU kids were way more mature than the CU Yan people and kind of looked that way and said, I don't, don't make me go over there. And I just wonder about this new thing since I was there of emerging adults, which makes all the sense in the world. Does it, do the communities tend to be folks who grew up UU and are still there or a lot of new emerging adults also just finding us and coming in? Because I know people do find us in when we have uh, places to find us on campuses and stuff. So um, I think it's always a combination of both. The majority of uh, emerging adults that I interact with have been UU um, since at least they were a youth. Um, again, not true of everyone. One thing um, I, I wanna point out as well is I think congregations and communities really need to focus on um, not just their youth and not just their young adults, but the transition between the two and preparing their youth for that transition. You know, Carrie talked about Cliff and what that feels like and um, how sometimes it feels like uh, congregations and communities and, and the, the UU faith over promises. They're like, don't worry, you're becoming this amazing young adult and we have all these amazing things for you. Don't, don't worry about it at all. But being real with youth as they come up and um, giving them examples of, of what real community is there. Um, one of the things that's amazing is Camp DeVenneville Pines, our um, Southern California UU camp. Um, it's in Big Bear, beautiful. They do senior high um, camps, so high school age camps, uh, week long in the winter and in the summer. Um, and it's, it's, there are adult advisors that are 25 plus, and then there's um, obviously youth, and then staff who are youth who run programming. And then there's also, two to three what they call spirits. Um, and these spirits are um, people who have bridged, we call it circling um, over there. So people have circled um, a, a year or more ago. So they have to be out for an entire year and then they can come back, just a few of them can come back and be a link from uh, the emerging adult community to the youth community. Um, they're treated like uh, adult advisors. So they're not like, peers with the youth, um, but they're, they hold workshops on what life looks like after bridging. They, um, you know, they're there as like a, as like a chaplain presence for youth who are, for the, for the youth who are bridging. So they can go and talk to them and they've been through it. Basically it's, it's not adults who went through it, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. It's people who went through it a year ago. Um, so just lifting that up is a practice we have here, and I'm sure other folks have similar things, but preparing your youth for that transition is so important, not just telling them, hey, it's fine, there's stuff, you'll figure it out, um, but really showing them what life looks like, I, I think is, is pivotal. I think also a thing about um, raise UU emerging adults versus 
um, ones who are discovering the faith. I so I moved across the country for college and I really wanted to find a UU church um, in Boston that I wanted to go to. You know, there are a lot of UU churches in Boston, so I had my pick. Um, so first fall semester, I kind of spent at church hopping and I visited a bunch of different ones. Um, and it was really fun for me as a pretty well-known youth slash young, young adult to go into these churches where they didn't know who I was mostly and see how I was received and if I was welcomed or not um, as just some random young adult. They don't know if I was raised UU or anything. Um, and it wasn't a great experience most of the time. It was a great experience when I saw somebody I knew because um, we just happened to stumble upon each other and then I was welcomed in. Um, but I can really imagine somebody who maybe found out about Unitarian Universalism online and decided to check out a church and as a 19 or 20 year old walks in and is completely ignored for a full service. Um, why would they want to go back? And I keep going back because I know what our churches can be and I know the potential for these communities. But that's because I was raised UU. It's because I've had these really incredible experiences in other parts of my life. So that's the thing I really worry about. I wanted to introduce a lot of my friends in college to Unitarian Universalism because I talk about it a lot. And some of them have come with me to church. And I kind of don't really want to take them to like a Sunday morning church for their first experience with Unitarian Universalism. I want to bring them straight to GA. I want to bring them to Sanctuary. I want to bring them to a youth experience. But I think that we need to find some way to show people on the very first time they set foot in a church what this community could have for them. I've said to the congregation where I am that we would do fine if we stopped repelling people and stopped behaving like a club because, and then they get hurt. Like I'm just trying to hurt their feelings. So I would, I would invite you to write a blog post for the UUA to let them know of your experience because you, you know, as uh, growing up UU and how active you've been Carrie and Tanner, what we can be just what you said. And so coming into the brick and mortar spaces, and it's not about not being well-meaning. It's that do we experience ourselves, we Unitarian Universalists, as a faith that is open to all and invitational all the time. And unfortunately, our brick and mortar places more often than not don't experience themselves that way. And that's part of the problem of why we're not growing. As, because I think if we just stopped repelling people, we'd just be exponentially bigger. And people don't, I don't know what there is to not believe about that. And somehow, like, you know, somehow, like the religious educator, the minister has some magic thing that they need to do. And it's not about one person. It's about how you're treated by everyone who's already there and how they embody who, what Unitarian Universalism is. Well, and that's part of the opportunity of this time. Oh, I'm sorry, Christina, go ahead. That's part of the opportunity of this time. We could create a different culture online. And that's, you know, as we've been doing in these shows for the past month about the pandemic saying, don't recreate white supremacist capitalistic culture. It's an opportunity not to be perfectionist. It's an opportunity to be welcoming and joyful and, you know, um, break out. And as you said, Aisha, even putting people in with folks they don't know to talk to them, to have real connection. Uh, can be really powerful, then the question is how to sustain that in a meaningful way. Because, you know, you can be in a great small group, you can be in a really rotten one. It's, I mean, we've probably all done it by now. And um, it's all about how vulnerable the people you're with are willing to be. So, because uh, the other thing I was going to say, what I hear from young people and other marginalized people and people of color, and Carrie, you're walking in with a couple of identities there, is it's either ignore you or like fall all over you in a way that makes you want to run out the door, right? And neither of those is just human and welcoming and, and uh, you know, hi, how are you? Here's who I am, you know? So, yeah, it's, but it's a chance now. Yeah, I think, um when I heard about Carrie's experiences, you know, visiting those congregations. Um, so my goal when I was a UA board of trustee member was to visit every single one of the Boston um, congregations while I was on, at board meetings. You know, we usually had a Sunday available and, um, and I, you know, I too experienced those, those same kind of, um, non-welcomes and sometimes um as meg said the opposite welcome of you know just the oh it's a person of color um 
let's just glom uh, onto them. So I'm I'm wondering, Carrie, um, and just for folks to know, I I asked Carrie before I asked her this question if I could ask her this question because it's not okay to just ask randomly ask a Black Indigenous POC uh, questions related to their identity. I just want to model that for you all that I asked her permission to talk about this before we're doing it. Um, so, but I'm wondering what your experience is like moving from the BIPOC um, youth community into into the young adult community because the the Black Indigenous people of color youth community um, can be fairly tight in Unitarian Universalism. And I wonder what that what that feels like going into the young adult community. Yeah, it's definitely tight. And I think I would add to that, not even going from that community, but also moving to Boston and the young adult community there, which is very, very white. Um, and um, yeah, that's been that's been really interesting for me. Something I was actually thinking about was, as I was saying, I, I didn't want to take my friends from college to church on Sunday mornings, I was even thinking there were a couple of my friends in college who were women of color. And I really, they like, if they were talking, we were talking about theology and it was like, wow, you would really love Unitarian Universalism. This seems so perfect for you. And especially a lot of my friends are queer and come had to leave communities where they weren't welcome as queer people. And I was like, wow, this is great. We should all go to church. And then I stopped and I thought, Hmm, if we all come into this church, like how are they going to feel going into a church that is 95% white? And so I have been a little anxious about if I wanted to bring them into that and I know how uncomfortable that they would feel. I think I feel pretty at home because I've grown up in these spaces that I forget how, how jarring it can be for people just coming into that space. And so it's kind of, you know, it's on both sides because if we don't welcome people into these spaces, they're going to continue to be really unwelcoming. And so what, what does it take? What do we need to do to break that cycle? I had a friend once um, when I was still in Jersey and I talked so much about Unitarian Universalism and I finally took her to a congregation. And one of the first things she said to me, she goes, wow, I didn't expect it to be so white with how you talk about Unitarian Universalism. And I'm like, yeah. So, um, now, I, I actually, when I have friends who will say, no matter where they are, like, oh, I want to try UU Church, I will look up who the minister is, who the religious educator is, what, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't give blanket, or I'll just say, here's an online worship, like, I don't, and it's sad, it's sad, because I'm passionate about Unitarian Universalism, and I want to know, you know, people who want to find spiritual sustenance, young adults, youth, adults, want to be held, and, and go somewhere to feel a connection, not be ignored. And so it's, it's, it's sad that this is still going on. This is the same conversation that we've been having for decades, Meg, you know, and so maybe this, maybe this, this pandemic is expanding our, like blue expanded our imagination drum, like their thing thrive, the multicultural leadership school for youth. And, um, is thrive the same name for the one for young adults. I should know that. Um, yeah. And so our, our imaginations are expanding. How do we continue to hold on to that and continue the transformation to, to be the faith that the world needs us to be? I, I think it's really great that you mentioned Thrive Young Adult, Asia, because I think um, part of it is the intentionality, right? We're talking about the intentionality of, um, you know, carving out emerging adult from young adult um, so what does the intentionality look like within those communities to make sure that we are um, providing resources and support for um, folks from marginalized, with marginalized identities within those communities? Um, so, you know, if I feel like, you know, if we feel like we don't do a great job at supporting BIPOC youth, it's like, it's almost non-existent <laughs> for young adults, you know, with the exception of Thrive Young Adult. And, and so how are we continuing to, to understand that, that it's a life, you know, like everything is faith formation, you know, supporting Unitarian Universalists with marginalized, with marginalized identities has to be a lifelong 
um, process. And so we need to be really intentional when we're looking at those different cohorts of how we're supporting them and not assuming that the support from you know, one is gonna look like the same in the other. I, th I think I'd never heard the language of cliffing. It's, it's a heartbreaking word to learn today and so real. And um, I grew up UU and not a single adult, including my parents ever said, gee, I hope you'll stay. You know, everyone was like, explore, find what works for you. And so I kind of felt like I would be a loser if I couldn't find anything better because no one seemed to be saying, this is great. We're so glad we found it and we want you to have it. So I always say to every youth and young adult I ever talk to, like, it matters to me. I want you here. Like, you make a difference. You, you build my faith. I need you. Um, but I, I remember with some embarrassment, my first GA ever, I had just read Mark Morrison Reed's book, Black Pioneers in the White Denomination. It was the mid-80s. And, and I related to the stories of the black pioneers who, who nobody would welcome and no one would support. And of course, there was part of that that was a real naivete about my own power and privilege. But, but so I went up to Mark, who I didn't know at all, after his talk at GA and burst into tears. And all I could say was, I grew up you, you. And Mark being, if you know Mark, he's just the hugger of all huggers. He just hugged me and, you know, but I look back on that with embarrassment. But I also think that people of color have named for all of us the, the lack of welcome that, that many people for many reasons, class, ability, so many reasons are now also you know, learning to articulate. And so it's, um, as Christina says, it's so exciting to think about really shining the light of what faith formation looks like every, every step of the way. And it's exciting to me to hear, even though it's a sad word to hear, to hear that it's being named and addressed and that there are, you know, that there are people who are really uh, focusing on that. So I wonder, are, um, are BIPOC youth or young adults or emerging adults gathering now online in this time of pandemic? Um, I haven't experienced any um, BIPOC specific spaces, but there are a ton of emerging adult spaces that I've been a part of. Um, um, Reverend Stevie has a Google doc that has a huge list of everything that is being put out by a lot of sources and it's continuing to grow. And that's something, that's where I get my resources from. So reaching out to him is a great first step for people looking for that space. That's a fabulous idea. Is that Google Doc available? Can that be posted on our website? Is I think it a public Google Doc or? It's been private just to keep the privacy and security settings, but um, emailing Stevie and getting, if you could post his contact information, he's a great first step for anybody looking for that. So we're coming close to the top of the hour. And um, of course, many of the co-hosts here have, um, have either uh, soon to be bridged or recently bridged uh, young adults in our homes. Um, and, but I'm wondering specifically, Tanner and Carrie, if you have any words of wisdom for the um, soon to be bridging seniors, uh, particularly as they are bridged, I mean, it's always a bridge to the unknown, but it feels right now like it's even more so. So I'm wondering if you have any um, advice or words of encouragement or any anything for this, for that cohort. Um, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the, the first thing I wanna lift up is I think a lot of what we've been talking about has been ministry on mission like what does it look like for churches to say one thing and then what does it look like for churches to actually do that thing um so my first piece of advice doesn't go to youth um it goes to congregations um and uh, other other communities um it's that if you're going to talk the talk um i don't want to walk the walks is very ableist i'm going to say move the move i guess um you know invest uh in your uh, young people programs, your youth programs, your young adult programs, um, give them time, give them money, right? Um, th those types of things. Um, don't expect all that work to be done for free. Um, 
So just, just to throw that out there as advice to, to congregations and communities um, to really invest because um, it's one thing to say it and another thing to do it. Um, and that's ministry on mission right there. Um, and then my uh, advice to, to youth who are bridging um, is that even though it feels like everything is over and the world is just collapsing. I, I know I felt like I'm never gonna find a community like that again. Um, just look around you and see that all those people that are bridging with you, um, that's your community. That's what you're going into this um, world with, this new world with. Those are the people, the people that you've hopefully built bonds with. So even when you get to the other side, if there's no one there waiting for you, the people that you crossed the bridge with are there. Um, and if we can stay together like that, um, I think that's a, a really important um, thing we can do. Like we can link arms, cross that bridge together, um, and that'll create stronger communities. I think sometimes there's this like dystopian, like, oh, it's all on the other side of the bridge. Like there's something there um, when really like we've got it all right here. So that would be my advice um, to, to bridging seniors. Yeah, I would say, Meg, I know that hearing the word cliffing was disheartening for you, but I, and I, I like to talk about it because I think that people need to be worried and scared that we're using, losing our young adults. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I ended up giving the bridging homily since we didn't have any bridgers that year. And I told my congregation how scared I was of cliffing and how I didn't want that to happen to me. And throughout June, my junior and senior years of high school, I was so deathly afraid of that. Um, after the last youth worship at GA, I held one of the candles in my hand and I ended up not ever turning it off until its battery eventually died a couple months later because I wasn't ready to say goodbye and I was so scared. But um, it's been almost exactly a year since I bridged from my con community last year. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't happen to every youth. And I have been involved. I have ministers who are mentors and friends for me. I am still connected to my congregation. I love seeing them over the holidays and now virtually um, now that I'm back home. And I also have communities in college. And part of that is being in the hub of Unitarian Universalism in Boston. But these communities are everywhere and you have to look a little harder to find it and you have to persevere. But it's not impossible and we're success stories because we're here right now. So I hope that in a year from now, I will still be as involved and not burnt out and loving Unitarian Universalism as much as I do. We are towards the end of their show. I want to make sure that, um, that Carrie and Tanner, anything that you make sure you wanted to say, you get a chance to say it. Um, sometimes folks come and they're like, oh, I want to make sure I get this one thing out. So um, any last words, you are welcome to make it about whatever you want to make it about. I just want to throw it out there um, to, to youth out there that you never know what's going to happen after bridging. Um, I bridged and then a couple months later I was hired by the Church of the Larger Fellowship and now I'm on paid staff of one of the largest congregations and that's been like so amazing to me because I got to take all the all the skills and everything I did as a youth and like turn it into an actual like fulfilling uh, career path um, you know so that's been that's been really really amazing so to the youth out there um, there's there's so much more beyond the the bridge yeah i just i think that one thing i hope that we get out of this pandemic is that things can be online and it doesn't have to always be in person and how we continue these communities especially for young adults who are so spread out um, after we can all go outside of our homes and go to physical church um, i really look forward to seeing how that continues to be a space for us Thank you so much, Carrie Gottfried and Tanner Linden for coming and joining us today on The View. We really, really appreciate you being here and uh, giving us your perspective on this new world. Next week on The View, we have the Commission on Institutional Change who are introducing the report uh, on theology and living our values in the world. We look forward to seeing everybody next week. Take care, everyone.
This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.